ahead and grab a seat and let me introduce to you my friend Jua Robinson. Uh, give it up. Let's thank you. Give it up. Good warm Redemption Hill. Welcome to Jua. And he's going to tell you about his amazing family who's cheering for dad up here right now. I love it. Uh, but, but Jua and Regina are, are not only leaders in the city uh, when it comes to the cause of Christ, but uh, they have been friends to Marsh and I from before Redemption Hill even existed. So uh, we were just praying about and dreaming about starting a church in Boston. And I got connected with one of uh, Jua's partners in crime. They were uh, planting a church in Roxbury Heart Change Fellowship. And uh, I met Mary and Mason through a friend. And uh, and not only did Marion and, and his uh, wife, Tamika, open their arms to us, but Jua and Regina opened their arms to, to our team. And they hosted us on one of our vision trips. And so they have been doing amazing work in the city for a long time. And uh, if I were to uh, just tell you a little bit about Jua, uh, he's, he's gone out uh, on, on a limb and, and really, you know, uh, humbled himself by being here today because last Sunday he was hanging out with the Cleveland Browns as their uh, guest cha- chaplain. So, uh, so he's, he's, uh, he's, He's stepped into a different context this week, but uh, I thought they were gonna call you back after that. You know, who knows? Who knows? They took Season's care of not them. over yet. They took care. They were of happy them. last week. Let's just say that. That's right. <laughs> I mean, after the amazing, you know, leadership yeah. of Jua and Chapel, they they took care of the Cowboys. So I thought, you know, he might have to reschedule with us. But thankfully, thankfully, he's able to come today. Uh, but Jua wears many hats. He's a pastor uh, at Charles River Church. Uh, he's also, if we were talking about mission, I would not be interviewing him on racial justice. I'd be interviewing him on the mission of God. He's one of the church planting catalysts uh, for a network of churches that we partner with, Send Boston, here in the city. Uh, but he also is the executive director of the Boston Collaborative. He's going to share a little bit more about the great work that they do. Uh, but Jua, first off, just tell us a little bit about your amazing family. Yes. First of all, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. What's yes, up, sir. Redemption Hill? Such an honor for me to be here with you all. Um, like you said, I think when you came to visit, we actually had a a, a women's um, like spa session here in Medford. That's right. Because our other couple actually lived in Medford. You may want to you may want to take that. I don't know if there are any ladies who would like to have something like that. <laughs> but uh, but as a way of just kind of blessing on moms and kind of serving serving the community. Yes. So. Uh, Crazy. Great, great, great memory. Yeah, yeah, crazy. But um, I am blessed. Uh, 18 years of marriage to my wife, Regina, who's here. And we have uh, four kids, uh, Jordan, who's 14 in high school, uh, 13-year-old Josiah, who's in seventh grade. I have a sixth grader, Joy, who is, uh, um, yeah, sixth grade, 11-year-old, and an eighth, eight-year-old, who's a third grader, Jeremiah. So it's the Robinson, the Robinson craziness. So at some point today during the service, just stretch your hands over here and just pray. Just just pray in this direction of the auditorium. I love that. You know, and, and one of the things, you know, to share about just Jua and the open arms that, that he and Regina extended to us, you know, uh, we know that leadership first begins with one's character. And this man is a husband and a father before he's anything else, follower of Christ, of course. And uh, that's one of the things that I love about him. But uh, Jua, as, as we, you know, get into this discussion uh, we're in this third week of our Seek Justice series, and, and we're hearing God's call. This is all about increasingly understanding the heart of God as the ultimate justice seeker and justice bringer. And now we are called to follow in his steps, the steps of Christ, to seek justice and bring justice uh, wherever he places us. So I know that you've mentioned before that Christians, as as I think we would probably agree with, you know, we are often known more for what we are against than what we are for. And I think the good work that you guys are doing at the Boston Collaborative really pushes against that. Uh, So tell us a little bit more about what you guys are doing and how you guys are seeking to promote the work of racial justice. You know, great question. So similar to what you just shared, you know, oftentimes the Christians are known for what we're against. And so we really function off of a premise that says, what if Christians were actually known for what we're for? How we actually bless the community, you know, the contributions that we're making to others around us. And so really what we try to do is we try to help uh, folks connect who would never be in the same room together. 
And so ideally, it's believers in Christ, but then also uh, others of goodwill as a way of saying, let's build relationships and get to know each other and really know the heart behind um, kind of why we may function within the work environment, some of the spaces that we may be in. Secondly, uh, we try to inform people about what's happening in the city of Boston in terms of, you know, organizations who may be um, doing a great work in the city and who may actually be looking for uh, people to lend their capacity or, or their time in some type of way. And then three uh, is we really try to help them engage. And so really helping them build relationships and partnerships with those organizations. And so, you know, one of the things that's so amazing is as believers in Christ, we have the best message that the world has ever known, but we're not often seen. We're not always seen in that, in that same light, right? And so, you know, the idea is to say Christians, you know, hopefully, you know, we were seen as being trustworthy. Hopefully we're seen as being people of integrity. Uh, hopefully we're, we're being seen as people who are reliable. And so in those different spaces, we help Christians to really make a difference. And so we really function at a way of engaging churches, nonprofits, uh, as well as um, uh, folks in business, education and government, and do a number of different things. Awesome. Um, and I think that's such a great example because I know for so long in my own walk with God and even as a leader, um, it's kind of, you know, there's a temptation to only kind of walk within your own tribe, right, right. even if that's other churches mm-hmm. or, but but what you're saying is, and the the image of God is reflected even in 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 people who don't yet know Christ, right. and so they they have a capacity for good. They have a capacity to to want to seek justice. And as we've right. humbly admitted in this series, sometimes those outside of the church are doing better work than those inside the church, and maybe from different motives or whatever. But uh, there's opportunities for us to expand and to work together right. across the city. I think one of the things that you guys have said is that. Uh, Boston is, is resource rich, but doesn't always connect those resources. And that's what you guys are doing in such a great way. So I mean, um, cause when you yeah. think about it, you know, in that context, you know, you think about all the different churches, you know, folks who are in different churches who may be in finance or, you know, in education or, you know, they'd be maybe in the medical community and they may work in the same hospital or work in the same environments and may not know each other. And at the same time, they may have the same heart for the same concerns in the city but not actually know how to go about addressing them. Because oftentimes we have, you know, families and we have work and things of that nature. So we're not always able to really find out about how we can actually plug into something to, to really make sure that it's something that's meaningful to us, but also helpful for the folks who are, who are actually, um, we're, we're actually engaging. And so we try to do that and try to do it well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I would encourage you, yeah. uh, check out Boston Collaborative online and, and just it's a great model for us. And there may be ways that we can get involved as individuals and as a church family to say, okay, as Redemption Hill, we want to be right. not about just our little piece of the mission of God in the city, right. Right. but we want to be kingdom workers that, mm-hmm. that partner with great churches like Charles River, great organizations like the Boston Collaborative. So right. keep up the great work in that, okay. brother. Um, so I want to hear more. We want to hear more about your experience mm-hmm. Because your experience is different than my experience, mm-hmm. for sure, uh, in dealing with racism in America, and maybe even helping us with the connection of, you know, how the what we're seeing in the, the protest this this summer and and moving forward um, re- relates to maybe some of your own experiences and, and why people now are raising their voice in so much of a stronger way. Right. No, great question. I mean, you asked kind of two questions in one, right? So my experience, and then kind of what's happening gradually, you know, I'll answer the first one. Um, so I grew up in Ohio, grew up in Cleveland, uh, single parent household. Uh, my mom uh, was a college graduate, but then she also was in the military before I was born. And so growing up, she was a, she was a teacher. And so, she, you know, by God's grace, she allowed me to engage a, a lot of different types of people. You know, even for a season, we lived in Germany. And she taught on an army base as well. And so from a young age, I was used to really engaging a lot of different people, a lot of different ideologies. Um, but I will say probably around, uh, see, I'm a, I'm an eighties kid. So, um, you know, hearing my, my great grandparents and my grandparents talk about Reagan and, and some of the, the statements they said, 
um, about him not caring about black people. It was kind of like my first like understanding of kind of the whole, you know, kind of race and ethnicity. And okay. then, you know, being a, uh, a high schooler and having friends and, you know, we're driving in a car and we're, we're getting pulled over for, for no infractions, uh, going to, uh, department stores and having staff and security follow us. Um, and, and, you know, make no bones about following us. And so, you know, as you ask that question, you know, it's like asking how many times have you been punched in the gut? Because, you know, there have been too many to actually count. And, and, you know, the, the, you know, when I, when I teach and when I have, you know, conversations like these, especially in mixed settings, you know, I say like, you know, when was the first time you actually recognized your ethnicity? Because for a lot of people, you know, especially if you come from a, from a privileged, you know, perspective, you may have never noticed it before. Um, and so, and so I would just say for myself, you know, there, there have been a, there's been a, a whole litany <laughs> of different experiences. Um, but today when you look at things societally, you know, it's this sense of, you know, for us who are, who are black and brown, especially, uh, being seen as other and, and being kind of not seen in the imago day of, of, of who God created us and called us to be. And so, you know, there are, there are, you know, different instances, especially from a historical standpoint of, of blacks being treated less than. And, and unfortunately in America and in other places around the world, like my blackness is my disadvantage. And so to, to, to be in situations and be in settings and to be seen and judged as less than before I even open my mouth is, is really challenging. And so I, I wish that experience was just mine and not others. But it's also others. And, you know, so much of what we've seen with the protest is with people saying, like, enough is enough. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm tired right. of injustice. I'm tired of, of, of being treated less than or others saying, I'm tired of seeing others being treated as less than who are allies as well. Um, you know, you, you can look even just from a, uh, just, uh, from a historical perspective, even understand, uh, like, policing amongst black communities and how, you know, for, hundreds of years, that's been, it's been a very challenging, a very hard conversation. And it's been one, and I'm glad now people are actually saying, let's have a conversation about how this can actually be helpful for police and for community. Yeah. Thank you. You know, it's, it's your honesty and transparency mm-hmm. that I think is you as a great example of, of so many sharing their experiences that can serve as more of a wake up call for people that in, right. in, in the position of privilege, right. we're just, sometimes our eyes aren't open in the ways that, that they, they, they should already be without you speaking up. Right. 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 But, um, I, I appreciate that because that's certainly not my experience. You know, I've never been pulled over except for when I w- should have been pulled over for speeding, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I've never thought someone's following me in a department store because I mean, and that's, and, and that's, you, you talk about, these these punches in the gut times 100 times a thousand times millions across our land and it's 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 time for a greater change um one of the things that that has really uh started to to grab my mind and heart is that i think i've been guilty and 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 i'm sure there's others in the room that would have to agree that so, so, so for so long, I viewed racism as just a, an interpersonal kind of, uh, you know, maybe, uh, uh, it's, it's a, it's, it's a personal view or a personal statement, a derogatory, a, a racial slur. Um, but, but didn't see the multidimensional facets of racism. I, I think I viewed as racism as pretty one dimensional. And so let's just, Let's just love each other. Let's just treat each other with kindness. I'll do my thing. And if everyone would, you know, love people like Jesus, then we'll be good. Yeah. And, and what this season is helping me is that it's so much bigger than that. Help us understand how big it is on, on the scale of this multidimensional reality. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, I even appreciate, you know, your, your transparency to talk about, you know, how you're growing, you know, as a, as a pastor to be able to communicate that 
to a congregation speaks volumes. So appreciate you sharing that, man. Thank you. Um, yeah, man, when, when you think about, you know, racism, I, I like to, to boil it down to kind of five, five different areas. Because like you shared, you know, for, for many Yo, people. Take notes, please. <laughs> take, take notes. Yeah. Um, because, you know, for a lot of people similar to yourself, you say, well, I'm not racist. So, you know, I have, I have black friends, you know, but does that black person consider you a friend? So that's, that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> um, um, but, but at the same time, you know, really understanding, um, kind of the, the framework to really kind of couch, you know, the conversation and the dialogue to really be informed, right? So one is the individual, kind of individual racism. And so these are like the beliefs or the perceptions that, that you may have, particularly about another people group or, uh, another, another, um, you know, group of people rather. And so, you know, this is someone that says, you know, all, you know, I, I don't like Mexicans because they're all criminal, you know, or, you know, someone that says, well, I don't like those Muslims because they, they hate America. And, and it's those types of ideologies that lead people towards committing atrocities towards them because they they see people as less than as opposed to yeah. really saying you know what there are people of, of all different ethnicities who have committed crimes and done different atrocities and so and but instead hold more of an angst towards people groups and and and, and different ethnicities and so that individual piece is, is one where you know especially you know individuals don't recognize the privilege they have and so looking at others and really feeling a sense of entitlement as they, as they think about those other groups. Um, the second one is, is the interpersonal racism, like the person to person racism, um, you know, the demonstrative racism between individuals. Um, you know, when you think about a city like Boston, you know, Boston has a very interesting racial history. And so when it comes down to, you know, a city like Boston, you know, as being someone who didn't grow up here, and I've had a lot of family and friends who are across the country, and you don't know how many times people have asked me, and so how racist is it in Boston? Or, you know, are there black people in Boston? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those questions because of, of, of what they've heard or seen through media and other places. I mean, you hear about it all the time about professional athletes, free agents and, and basketball and football not wanting to come to Boston. Because of what they've heard. Um, you know, I've, I've even had conversations with Boston police, uh, who are of color and talked about some of the things that they've had to deal with and, and, and seeing different injustices, even within certain systems and structures. And so, like the interpersonal racism is a really big one. You know, it's that sense of saying, I'm going to let you know that you're not actually welcome here. And, you know, up until, you know, the eighties, even in certain sections of Boston, you know, certain, you know, black and brown folks just wouldn't go there because they weren't welcome. And when I was pastoring in Roxbury, I had story after story of people who were hurting because of a, of an experience they had, say, walking through Hyde Park or walking through Rosendale, walking through some other neighborhood and just being being told you're not welcome, being shouted at, had rocks thrown at them, beaten. I mean, it's like the stories are endless. Um. And so the interpersonal piece is, is, a, is a really big one. Um, the third level is, is structural. So the, so the structural racism. And so it's also often seen in kind of this, this racial segregation, um, on the base, basis of education, uh, income or wealth. And so this is not as much, uh, law and policy, but more so like we're going to kind of create kind of um, systems in place to kind of keep, keep folks of color out. And so this is the idea of like private banking and lending, you know, saying that, you know, we're not going to, uh, we're gonna, only going to lend so much to people of color. And if we get a, a particular name and, it, and it's, it's, it's a more of a, a, a name that's more of, of somewhat of a, a person of color, then we're not going to kind of do for them as we would do for someone else in terms of, um, giving them the resources so that they can live in particular neighborhoods. Um, you know, in addition, um, you know, you have certain communities where, you know, there are no grocery stores, <laughs> you know, food desert. And so not being able to have quality food, um, you know, fruits and vegetables and things of that nature in particular communities of color. And, you know, wow. there are 
food deserts kind of all over the country, even here in greater Boston, where you, you're just not able to get as high quality of food. Um, you know, the Boston Globe did an article, I'm going to say last year, on the amount of money spent per student. And they looked at different school districts around greater Boston. And if you look at the city of Boston in comparison to Newton, you would say, man, they spend more money in Boston than they do on the students in Newton. But when you break it down and look at the actual details and the data, when it comes to the busing and when it comes to teacher pension, it it increases that number significantly. Yeah, yeah. And when you take that out, you notice that the, 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 the greater disparity even in terms of resources. And so yeah. and so it's it's a very hard conversation structurally because there are so many dynamics that play a hand in why those 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 structures are the way they are. Right. And what I hear there is that we need to ask more questions. Mm -hmm. We don't just need to take things as we see them on the surface, right. but we need to dive down and right. and and the implications for our workplaces, our schools. Mm -hmm. Um, so helpful. So yeah. we got personal, interpersonal, yeah, structural. structural. Uh, La uh, fourth one is representation. And so this is what's depicted in popular culture, you know, in media, uh, movies, shows, things of that nature. And, you know, if we're really honest about Boston, <laughs> uh, the media makes Boston look so cool, right? You know, you have these, these cool movies of goodwill hunting and you hear people trying to, um, um, trying to utilize the, uh, Boston vernacular, and they just always just mess it up, right? And so you have The Departed and all these 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 cool movies, Fever Pitch, The Fighter, The Town, all these movies, right? Um, but have you seen movies depicting black people in Boston? Yeah. I mean, yeah. there you don't really see movies about what it's like for a normal black person living in Greater Boston. Like all of the the narratives that are, that are told about Boston are not about of people of color. You don't see Asians represented. You don't see, you know, my Latino brothers and sisters represented. And so it's it's only it's one. Right. You know, you see the movie with the Equalizer with Denzel Washington, but he was like a recluse thing, like sitting in a sitting in a <laughs> sitting in a restaurant and got thrown into fighting. Although it was a cool movie, right? Um and so and so, you know, all of that um kind of depicts the, you know, how people are depicted, you know, up until yeah. You know, even the the sixties, you know, how you know folks of color were represented um on TV was horrible. Um, you know, especially for our Asian community. I mean, if you look at how they were depicted, um, you know, black and brown as well. And so, you know, that's that's also a form of racism because it continues to perpetuate stereotypes that aren't true of people. Yeah, great, um, great, great insight. And then the last one is just like the systemic stuff. You know, this is the stuff we we see talked about most often and the laws and the policies that kind of keep things the way they are. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, racism was, was built into the very foundation of our society. And because of this, it's influenced the development of social institutions, uh, policies, beliefs, behaviors um, that, that often limit people of color. Um, and so, you know, this is, you know, this is such a, a bigger conversation for a time like this, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you ever want to do some research on your own, uh, research black codes, um, you know, right after, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, kind of slavery ended 1865, 1866, you know, there were laws, um, put into place so that black people were kind of, kind of quote unquote held in check. Like even though you were free, you weren't really considered to be free. And so, you know, there were, um, laws about what time they could be out or where you could go. And, you know, if you looked at a white person, uh, the wrong way you could be beaten or your family could be hurt. And so there were all these different laws in place. Um, you know, you think about it even in our country. I mean, even more recently up until the sixties, you know, you, you, in, in many places, folks couldn't marry outside of, you know, their own, their own race. Um, you know, think about it even more recently in the South now with voter suppression. And so, you know, we're going to take a huge swath of people and have one small voting station. And you see the lines of people, you know, for, for a half mile, quarter mile of people trying to vote. And so, and so, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, some of the, some of the systemic issues, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty expansive. And, you know, my even encouragement for, um, you know, for us who are really trying to figure out 
like how do I learn more? How do I understand more? How do I engage more? Is, is to really begin to, to just understand some of the systems and some of the structures that are, that are in the communities that you live. You like, for example, um, Boston Globe said that the average wealth of a black person in Boston is only eight dollars. You know, why is that? It's insane. Right. Yeah. Why is that? Especially when you understand that blacks have been in Boston for, for centuries. I mean, the, the history, even if you can go back even to the, you know, to the uh, 1600s and read about the history of blacks in Boston. And so, um, and so it's a pretty huge conversation, but at the same time, it's one to, to, to really, uh, begin to understand if, if you've never done that. Yeah, I appreciate that, Jua. And, yeah. and one of the things that, you know, we've said, we need to keep saying again, like, we're not going to make huge progress in four weeks. Yeah. You know, this, this Seek yeah. Justice series, like, I'm thankful for it. I'm excited what God is already doing and the healing that is taking place and the enlightenment. Mm -hmm. But if we think that, you know, four weeks is going to cut it and, and what you're, you're bringing to light is that, you know, racism, it just morphs with a new reality, mm -hmm. right? So, um, I think for me personally, I thought, you know, man, desegregation, like we, you know, we, we, we've come so far and we have made progress, but there is so much more progress to be had. And, um, and so this is, this is now our time. This is our moment to, to take steps forward. Um, let, let me remind you, if you have a question for Jua, text it in to 781-866-6465. We're going to uh, take some time at the end of our conversation uh, for some of your questions. Uh, Jua, let me get a little personal, ask you a personal question. Yeah, sure. um, what, what would you want to say as a black man mm. um, mm -hmm. to your white friends? To, to what, what do white people need to hear that, you know, let's just be honest. Sometimes our, our black and brown brothers and sisters, even other people of color. I mean, we we have a lot of uh, Latinos in our in our uh, congregation, Asians right. as right. well. Um, what do they wish they could say, but they just sometimes just too nice mm -hmm. and don't want to kind of mm. maybe ruffle mm -hmm. our our feathers, you know? So right, right, right. Help us out. This is this yeah. is a moment for us to learn. Help a brother out. Help a white brother out. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the conversation, right? <laughs> Thank <Okay>. you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I would just say, you know, just, just like black people aren't a monolith, you know, white, white people aren't either, right? That's right. And so, you know, there are some folks who are at one of the, the, the spectrum who are, you know, very progressive and kind of understand kind of their, their, their privilege and are really actively engaged. And then there are others who are in the other spectrum that say, Hey, you know, I don't believe that there's an issue. And, yeah, you know, yeah. why can't we just get along? Because, um, because, yeah, because we're, we're, you know, we're past all that right now. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say, you know, my response to you is based upon the person who's saying to themselves, right now, I'm aware, you know, right now, I recognize, uh, the issue of, of what's happening. Yep. And yep. I want to take some next steps and figure out what I can actually, that's great. What I can actually do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's that's a huge question that yes. keeps coming yeah, yeah, up yeah. again and again. Right, right. So, yeah, please yeah. help us. Yeah, I would just say, you know, for that person, you know, if you if you already haven't done so, um, choose to be on the right side of history and do something. Like, yeah, do do yeah. something. Don't 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 be immobile. You know, don't don't allow yourself to consistently be overwhelmed by everything that's happening. That's right. That you're not able to really see kind of like your small how your small contribution can actually help benefit the, the whole. It's like, for example, you know, I talked about my kids and I want to see some hands stretched out to them. But, you know, every, thank you. Let's amen. Pray. Yes. Amen. Robinson family. We <laughs> love you. Him. Jesus. Yes. But, but any parent knows that you oftentimes, you often see things in your house and you're like, man, who did this? Like, like, why, why is this here? Like, what's like, <laughs> like, like, for example, like Parents. my kids, um, you know, like, like candy wrappers on the steps, you know, it's like, like, why, like, how, why, like, why is this candy wrapper sitting here? You know, candy gone, people gone. It's like, whoa, this is not <laughs> supposed to be this way. Right. But, but, you know, the reality is if a, if a candy wrappers on the steps and it's safe, it's been there for hours, there's a high 
likelihood that my kids have walked up and down the steps multiple times, seen the candy wrapper, and just said, you know what? This candy wrapper is cool right where it is. Like, I'm just go, I'm gonna go ahead and do what I want to do. That's right. And so, you know, as a parent, listen, listen closely. Right. As a parent, you know, you're thinking to yourself, how did the candy wrapper get here? How much candy did they eat? Where did they get the candy from? I mean, you're thinking all these things, right? And so when you have the conversation with the kids, you say, who, who, who ate the candy? I don't know. Right. I don't know. Like, who ate the candy? Yeah, my son is raising his hand. More than, like, more than likely is him. Right. <laughs> so, Josiah, the truth teller. <laughs> right. And so the next statement is, is the one that, that, that always speaks volumes is they say, Daddy, I didn't put, I didn't eat the candy and put the wrapper there. Right. Yeah. And yeah. as a parent, yeah. you know, my statement to them is like, yeah, you didn't put the wrapper on the steps, but that doesn't mean that you can't be a leader. And making a contribution and helping to put it in the trash. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, when we think about there, we think about that. It's like you can take personal responsibility to really help put this in the trash because we all want to contribute to making our home feel, feel wonderful and feel safe and feel, uh, feel inviting mm-hmm. and having candy wrappers on the steps yeah. doesn't do that. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, I would just say, you know, do something. Um, and, 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 you know, whether it be serving somewhere locally in the community, you know, having conversations with your, with your, you know, your friends of color to, to ask them about their experience. Um, but, but in all reality, man, it's not up to people of color to teach our white brothers and sisters about, about racism. I mean, yes. it's not, you know, you. because, yeah. you know, when That's it right. comes down to it, when that same individual wants to go overseas to do mission work and, say Southeast Asia or to go to the Middle East or go to South America, they'll read yeah, all yeah. the books on those places. Ouch. You know, they'll do all the, the research online about missions. Yeah. You know, they'll talk to people from those different countries. They'll study the language. But then their brother or sister down the street or at work or or in their church who may be different from them, mm-hmm. they'll never sit down and say, let's have a conversation. Wow. And that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last week we, we learned to lament together. And I don't think biblically you can, you can lament mm-hmm. unless you're willing to repent. And just pause and think about the connection there. I can't say, God, why is this happening to my brother in a way that it's not happening to me? If I'm not willing to own the times that I've been stepping over the rapid, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. We we've got to we've got to say, God, show us where where we've been wrong, where we've been silent, where we can do more. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate you exposing that and helping us think through at such a practical level. Um, let me let me ask you this. I've heard you I've heard you say this. For so long, the church has not acknowledged its complicit contribution to racism and injustice. Mm-hmm. And then you said this, that Pastor Jew are getting a little prophetic at times. And we need, we need that, right, as, as a people. If you are not willing to offer your support and solidarity to people of color, then you are part of the problem. So that's what this series is about. That's why I wanted, we wanted to have you here. Is, is we want to move from inaction to action. We want to move from being, you know, I feel like I've lived in that kind of racial reconciled, like, man, I loved you on forum. Like if you live in Roxbury, go to Heart Chain, great church, or you're in, you know, West Roxbury, go to Charles River, great multi-ethnic church to be a part of. Uh, but I haven't always stepped forward to do the work of an anti-racist. Yeah. So. Help us think even just, you already gave us some practical suggestions. Mm-hmm. Sit down, learn, yep. ask questions. Uh, what are some other just practical steps that we can take mm-hmm. as individuals in our workplace, as a church family? What other ideas? Yeah. Because that's really where we want this series to, to take us in these final two weeks. Yeah, that's good. You know, and, and it's, it's a really good question. Um, but the challenge of answering the question is when I do this, like there are, there's a one-on-one conversation, 201, 301, 401. Yeah. yeah and yeah. during this time, we're trying to blend all of those together. Good point. <laughs> you yeah, know, good in some point. ways, right? Yeah. 
Fair enough. And so I would say, you know, for most pastors, you know, they're more so concerned with, you know, finances and growing a church than doing um, what's uncomfortable, right? And so, you know, I'm not saying that's you, but but at the same time, I think every church who wants to be anti-racist has to say, you know, what idols, what biases, uh, what areas of pre- what presumptions are, um, uh, what of those are keeping uh, Redemption Hill from being an anti-racist church? Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, you know, I have to ask the same thing for, for Charles Rivers, yeah. you know, saying, sure. you know, what are the biases? What are the, what are the idols that we're holding on that's keeping us from being who God really wants us to be as a, as a congregation when it comes to anti-racism? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I say, whether it's individual, whether it be someone at work, whether it be someone in your church, like, do you know the experience of people of color in those settings? Like if you work in a space and you've got like one person of color who works there, the, the, the one guy or the one woman who works there, they're, they're Middle Eastern. Have you ever asked them, what is it like to be here in a space where there's only one person like yourself? Thank like, have you That's ever great. experienced, you know, racism? You know, like I want to be someone that you can talk to and see as an ally to, to, to really work with you. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. as a follower of Christ, yes. like it, yeah. it compels me. To yeah. go and, and actually care for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, that's so something good. very simple. Yeah. And so really being able to go on more of a personal level. Mm, um, you know, I would also say it, it's beginning to, you know, from a church standpoint is understanding like systemic racism in Medford. Like what, what does it look like in Medford? What, yeah. what are some of the systems and what are some of the, the intricacies that play out even in the community that's here? That's right. And yeah. then beginning to say, as a congregation, these are the steps that we're going to take and we're going to put them on paper and then we're going to have our folks of color keep us accountable mm. to making sure mm. that we yeah. are an anti-racist congregation. That's good. And so, yeah. you know, when it comes to our teaching, our preaching, our, you know, the, how we communicate things, like we really want to um, dismantle racism. And instead of the world Actually, us taking cues from them, we want to model to the world what it means to be an anti-racist institution. Yes. And, and so that's, you know, that's kind of big on a macro level. You know, I think for, for others who are maybe saying, you know, what can I do? I mean, there are great resources now. I mean, there are a thousand websites right now that, that talk about being an anti-racist. Uh, Jamar Tisby's, you know, Color Compromise is great. Uh, right now, uh, the video series is actually free on Amazon Prime. And so, you know, I would encourage everyone to check that out. Um, you know, there's a there's another uh, couple of books. You know, Why We Can't Wait by Martin Luther King is another good one. Um, the Warmth of Other Sons by a woman named Isabel Wilkerson. I'm just okay. mentioning that now myself, and it's it's been from it's stuff I'm even learning um, mm-hmm. that, that I didn't know, and yeah. I you know working this with art yep. um, it's been phenomenal. It's great. And so you know, there are just a number of different resources and ways people can be engaged. Um, but it really just starts by kind of recognizing where you are and then beginning to take intentional steps to, to say kind of what's next, um, by engaging even just the people who are around you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's great, great insights. Um, here's a question that, that someone asked. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything I can do to influence public policy? Mm-hmm to correct past injustices mm-hmm. in a productive way for our nation. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, give some, give that's, a great, that's a great question because, you know, when you think about policy, you know, policy in education, policy in housing, um, you know, policy and, and, and so there, there's so many areas of policy that impact communities, um, policies and policing policies and um, hospitals and, you know, you know, from the clinical side, you know, we have a son who has, who has Down syndrome. And when, when I think about, you know, this is just an example, right? When I think about just some of the ways in which, you know, especially my wife has done a great job of just advocating for him and advocating for his needs and especially advocating to help, say, families who, who have come here as, you know, from immigrant communities really figure out their voice when they're going in to have a, an IEP meeting. Right. So good. And so it's not necessarily policy, 
but but it's it's saying how can we and help form people to know about some of the resources that are accessible for your child because your school may not be telling you. And so that, you know, those types of engagements can actually help lead towards being more of a an ally in policy because it really pertains to, you know, that individual and and them kind of doing the homework and research to find out about the policies, you know, why those policies uh, how they've been drawn and then and then you know secondly how can how they can actually have a hand or a voice in some slice of of those policies in their own community mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah so helpful you know w- one of the things that, that you shared is just be being accountable yeah you know like saying like it's one thing for us to do this series mm-hmm. but we all have a tendency to, to value right. something and then kind of move away mm-hmm. and not take those necessary steps to right. truly bring change. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the, at the beginning of the series, I said, hey, I'm probably not going to get it all right. I may say some things that are off and I, I want to know that. Yeah. And um, so I think with even as Redemption Hill, you know, mm-hmm. we've we've had people of color say, hey, Pastor Tanner, why do we why do we? At this event in the community, mm-hmm. why do we do it this way? Mm-hmm. Have we considered yeah. how some someone of 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 a of a, of a different background is mm-hmm. going to receive this? Right. Even some of the language that we use mm-hmm. sometimes it, it can be a bit insensitive, right? Right. And, and it's not our intention. Mm-hmm. So I just want to put out there, Redemption Hill, is if there is ever a, a practice, mm-hmm. or let me not say if there's an ever, when there is. A practice when we say something a certain way that doesn't honor, doesn't take into consideration respect. Please let us know. We want to know. We we need to know so that we can change. Um, That's wrong, man. Jua, wow. as you as you see the church, yeah, your pastor, yeah. There's more that we can do. There's more that we ought to be doing in light of the heart of God. Uh, what are some encouragements that you would have for us as a church family? Mm. Not me, not just maybe as a, as one local church, but being a part of a, a yeah. larger kingdom effort mm. to see God move in, in great ways in a city yeah. that has a a, a a pretty significant racist history. Mm. What mm. can the church do? Give us give us some of your kingdom vision. Uh, and that and that was one of the questions that was brought in. Yeah. To us. Yeah. I mean, I would say. You know, you think about John 17, you know, Jesus, you know, pray that they, that we would be one as he and the father are one. And I think that the hope is now, you know, there are so many churches, so many leaders who are now saying, how do we actually live this out? And how do we actually begin to take intentional steps to try to, to really honor kind of the, the, I go back to it again, like, like the dignity of everyone in our church and in our community. And so, yep. you know, that's something that really uh, makes me hopeful. You know, I know one of the, the questions you had, we had kind of bounced back and forth is how certain people may take um, something, an issue that is about race and be dismissive of it and to really try to put like a, a theological framework on it. That's, that's right. like why we can't interact with it because yeah. that's quote unquote liberal. Or that's going to, you know, that's right. But actually, like the gospel is is about fairness. <laughs> like the gospel is about equity. Right. Um, you know, Jesus never did, he never told us, all right, go and make disciples that only look like you, only think like you, right? <laughs> only, you know, enjoy the same things you enjoy. You know, so when you think about, so you know, um, Philippians 2, you know, and 7 and 8, you know, talking about Paul said, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so with Jesus becoming a bond servant, he didn't become a bond servant by just saying, you know, you all do this, you go here and do that, and I'm going to be away from you. Right. Now, what That's he right. did is he, as a, kind of the great um, uh, uh, theologian John Perkins once said, that he literally got into the pain of the people. And so he was willing to yeah. understand their sorrows and understand right. their plights and understand the complexities of what they dealt with in order to really care for them. Yeah. You know, with the, yeah. the, the woman at the, you know, woman at the well, yep. he actually went to her yes. and went to her situation. Yes. And so yes. if Jesus was willing 
to do what was countercultural, to do what was uncomfortable, to do all the things that society told him not to do in order to cross over to say, I'm doing this because I love you mm-hmm. <laughs> and the father mm-hmm. loves you. Yes. What, it, what does that say? What does that say for us? Yes. Right. Yeah. That we're also to do the same thing. Yeah. I, I love that. And thank you for, I mean, this is, Jew has a wealth of knowledge and wisdom and experience, but he's bringing a gospel centered lens, like the perspective of I am first before I'm anything else in any of my other roles in life. I am a follower of Jesus. And we, we as the people of God should have the greatest motivation to take action and to move forward. Uh, Jew, as you shared so much with us and I wish, you know, I wish we didn't have to kind of put a, put a wrap on our conversation because we could go on for hours. Good. I could listen to you. <laughs> We're going to continue to learn from you and listen to you. Right. Uh, maybe not a, a, as, 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 as up close as this, but, um, a, a question came in. I think this is a great question. Maybe a great question to end on. Mm. When would you consider our work to be done? Mm. And, and, mm-hmm. and here's the. Yeah. Is there a concrete way to assess? You know, like the, how do we, how do we assess our progress? How do we, how do we know that we've gone from point, you know, A to C to to J to to, to T? Yeah, help, help us help us out with that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question, man. Because I love what you just shared. You know, our our function, our ability to kind of be in Christ, our Christ centeredness. Is, is what is our, our primary identity, right? Yes. It's, it's being Thank in you. Christ. Yes. So, and good. so, you know, when we talk about these, these constructs of black and white, that's not, that's not biblical. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, when we see, you know, it's kind of this fully inclusive, you know, anti-racist society, um, like the thoughts that I've had is, and, and it's, 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 it's something that you can actually, um, you can read about as well. It's a it's a it's a, a vision of an institution in the wider community that says that we are gonna we're gonna honor each other that we are going to to help. Um, it's it's I guess the easy way to say to answer that question is if our our folks of color can come into an environment and not have to code switch. Wow! If they can come in and like be themselves, wow. come in and know that man they can they can. Um, be treated for uh, kind of for who they are, you know, love for who they are, uh, not presume that they are someone who they're not. Uh, if they're able to be in a sitting in a, in a setting uh, where um, they're not just coming to others' events, but others are coming to their events as well, yes. Yes. Um, you know, those are the types of s- scenarios that you would see in an environment cool. where you could say, "Man, I feel like we're we're doing a good job because." Our folks of color have been the ones to affirm the the steps that we've taken in order to make this a very inclusive environment. Yes, yes. Yeah. So so good, so good. Thank you. And, and that's that's where we have to go. Mm. That's such a great vision for us to to measure our progress as we Jua said it. Our identity. When I think about Jua, I think about this dude loves Jesus. That's my first thought, and that's why I respect him so much, and that's why I want to listen and learn from him. Uh, but then to to work that out in terms of our calling to follow Christ, to make that kind of tangible progress, that that gives us a great way to pray. Right. Uh, so, Jua, thank you so mm-hmm. much for coming today, I'm for helping us yeah. on our journey. Let's let's thank Jua. Give him give him a round of applause. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I tell you what, we we're gonna we're gonna sing our way out today. Uh, but I would love to pray. Just pray a blessing yeah. over you. If you ask us to pray for the fam, yes. we're going to pray for you, your family. Uh, and please pray for us yes. that God would move us forward mm-hmm. because it's going to take, yeah. this is going to be, you said it, you, you this is not going to be easy. Right. It's going to be costly. There's going to be hard work. There's going to be more conversations, more learning, not just one step, many steps to take, but let's, let's agree that, hey, as one group of Jesus followers, we're going to do all that we can to make a difference and to pull other churches into that so that we can see this kingdom vision that you had talked about become reality. So I'll pray and then you pray. Yep. That. Thank, you, thank you. Thank uh, you. So Father, thank you so much for Jew. Thank you for his family coming and joining us today. God, we thank you and celebrate the great work that they're doing across the city of Boston, in the church, outside of the church, 
pulling people together to, to, to be, uh, just, just, uh, uniters and, and those that are truly examples of, of seeking justice in our land. And so God, we pray that you would continue to empower them, Lord, that you would bless, uh, not just you, a Regina doing great work in education, uh, at various levels in the city from, from Boston public schools to uh, her role as a professor at Cambridge College. And uh, so, God, would you continue to give them the strength? I know it's not easy work, Lord. And I know that they need your grace and your power. So, God, would you pour out your favor and your kindness on their family? Lord, I pray that that they would get to that point where they don't have to code switch. That that, that they are just uh, so so uh, welcomed and, and in, in such safe places uh, that that we all are on equal footing as image bearers of you. And so, God, we pray for your justice to reign in our lives, in our churches, in our city. And God, give us the tenacity and the courage to keep marching forward until that day comes. Mm. We pray in Jesus' name. Mm. Father God, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you. We worship you. God, I'm so encouraged to hear how Tanner is attempting to, to lead Redemption Hill. To, to, to lead with humility, to lead with integrity, to lead with, uh, inviting others into conversation and, and into spaces that allow your name to be glorified, to, to readily admit that as a congregation that they're not there yet. And, and to have a white pastor invite the church to keep them accountable about the systems and the structures in place speaks volumes. And so, Lord, I pray that you would honor his request. I pray, God, that you would uh, do a, a great work in this congregation to really mold them and even shape them into more of the congregation you want them to be. And, Father, I just pray that they would just be a, a, such a great witness in word, uh, such a great witness uh, through deed, and just a witness to the world around them about what it means to be Christ followers who actually care and want to make a difference. Lord Jesus, you called us to love our neighbors. And I pray, God, that that Medford and the surrounding communities would know that Redemption Hill, Redemption Hill is a place where the presence of God is. And because of the presence of God being here, that these people are unashamed about their boldness for action. They'll be unashamed of their desire to care for others, Lord. That they'd be unashamed about who they are and would lead with integrity. And so, Jesus, this made you do greater things than what any of us can imagine. And I pray that this series and subsequent conversations and dialogues and just their rootedness in Christ, that you would do a, a great work here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jewel. Amen. Appreciate you, brother. All Let's right. give it up one more time for Jewel Robinson. Thank you. All right, let's, uh, let's stand and let's worship our great God as we uh, wrap up our time together here today.